Have you ever enjoyed the quiet? Do we even know what that is anymore? All the chimes and bells that go off on our phones and the computers and can't even get away from jet noise. You know, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, there's a jet going overhead. But you've enjoyed it. Muffled sounds because of the heavy snow. It's beautiful, isn't it? Have you ever just walked in the woods? You know, that's, I, I took lots of walks in the woods as a person growing up. Just to hear the leaves, nothing else but the leaves rustling. Or in the winter, the, the branches clattering in the wind. And then you walk down into the valley and it's quiet. Ever experience the calm before the storm? Birds are chirping, maybe squirrels chattering, the breeze is blowing, and then suddenly it's just dead calm. The animals stop moving. And then there's this distant rumble in the distance of thunder and you take off for home that's like a mile or half a mile away and you got hills to go. Oh, yeah, I remember. Silence is a gift from God because it's in that moment that be still and know that I am God in the quietness. But then there's a time when silence is a sin. Corey Tenboom, do you know Corey Tenboom? Do you know that name? She lived through the Nazi occupation, was in, in, a, in a concentration camp. Her family all died there, Jewish family. She said this When a house is on fire and you know there are people in it, it is a sin to straighten the pictures in that house. When the world around you is in great danger, Works that are in themselves that are not sinful are very, very wrong. The prophet Jeremiah said this about the Lord's word. If I say, I will not mention him, I will not speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, we didn't read that verse, but let me read it now. Verse 16 says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul couldn't be silent because he had the truth and it was burning in his heart and in his mind and in his soul and he had to speak the truth because there were so many who did not know it. They were in the dark. So Corey Ten Boom, she had to speak. Her faith would not let her do nothing, so her family hid the Jews in their homes at great peril to their lives. She had to speak. Jeremiah couldn't be silent because he needed to explain that Israel's hardships they had brought on themselves because they had disobeyed the Lord. They'd gone their own way. They'd gone astray and they were not returning. So the Lord was bringing them back. He was getting their attention through the troubles they were going in as the Babylonians were destroying their city of Jerusalem. And Paul couldn't be silent either because there were men. There were women who were lost who didn't know a thing about Jesus' way. 
We already know this. The world's on fire. And we have to speak. They need to hear that Jesus is truly the only way, the only truth, and the only life that there is. So what happens when the gospel collides with the world's best ideas and explanations for life? Can the gospel overcome the world's latest ideas, its oldest ideas? What do you say about that? Well, you know what the Sunday school answer is, right? Of course it can. But what have I done lately to show that I truly believe it? What have I asked for, prayed for, said, done? What do you say about that, followers of Jesus? Do we really doubt its power? Have we tested it lately, the gospel's power? It reached me, it reached you, why not others? You know what's wonderful? Acts chapter 17 helps us be reminded and to be encouraged that the gospel has power. Power to change lives. Power to penetrate our society with truth. Are a lot of people going to believe it? I don't know, but some will, and we are sent to rescue them. We are sent to speak. We are sent to live it. And if no one responds to stay true, because we believe it. It's burning in our hearts, and we must say it, we must speak. So Paul's Athen experience is a great help to us for 2021. First century, 2021. 20 centuries later, it's still at work. Or is it 21 centuries later? 20. Do the math. First impressions. Verses 16 through 21. We didn't read this. I didn't have Scott read them, but let's read them together again. Chapter uh, 17, beginning at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him, and maybe Luke as well, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and he reasoned in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Aragopagus. Ah, see, Scott, I, I did it. I messed up. <laughs> May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. First impressions. And here was Paul's impressions of Athens as he came into that city. The first thing we notice is his interest was aroused. He was looking around and he was amazed at the darkness that occurred there without God's truth. Athens was the center of Greek thought. It had, was famous for its world, great world thinkers and great world 
thinking. At its pinnacle, at its grace time, Paul was walking on the same streets, maybe standing in some of the very same spots in the marketplaces where the great uh, philosopher Socrates had spoken and walked and, and spread his wisdom. This was the best that the world ever has said. But Paul wasn't impressed. Amazing art, but it was mostly statues of goddesses and gods, idols. Great architecture. I would love to see the Acropolis. You know, there's always pictures. When you see a picture of Greece, there's always one of the Acropolis where the temple of Athena was and just amazing structure. Amazing architecture. You know, they, they, they made the pillars a little crooked, so when you looked at it, it looked straight rather than fall. Really crazy stuff. It was great stuff, but he wasn't impressed. And he wasn't overly impressed with the philosophies. He just interacted with them to make them curious, to make them doubt. You know, Athens was living on memory. They would have been great for a mega campaign, make Athens great again, <laughs> uh, because it wasn't great anymore. It was living on fumes. There were still great things there, but it's all that man had. And, and, and these interests, this observation that Paul had stirred his heart, that word provoked, it provoked Paul's spirit within him. That's a strong word. He was angry. They're gods, they'd made gods like people. <laughs> they had an idol to the unknown God because they didn't want to offend anybody. They, you know, that, they made gods like people, you know, finicky and, and fickle and self-seeking. And when you worship everything, you worship nothing. Nothing's holy, nothing's set apart because it's all bland. And that's the culture we live in now because everything's true. So nothing's true. If all religions are true, then nothing's true. And Paul was angry. And the reason he was angry was because the truth was at rage with a lie. The counterfeits were acting as if they were something and they were really nothing. And people were, were being led to eternal destruction instead of knowing the God who made them and was near them and died for them. So let me ask you this. What do you do? You have the truth of God. And you're standing in front and facing people who are holding on to lies and they don't even know it. You've tasted of the life-changing truth of God, and it's pumping in your mind and your heart. So what do you do? Do you write to your congressman and complain? Do you appear before the town council and air your concerns? Do you put a treatise on, on your favorite social media platform and tell the truth? And those are options, and sometimes those are good things to do. But what did Jesus do? And what did Paul do? <laughs> they served. Paul served those people like Jesus served people who didn't know anything about him or understand what God was really like. 
We talked a little bit about it last week. First, First Thessalonians chapters one and two, I call it Paul's ministry manual. Manual How he, he was nurturing, like a nurturing parent, how he was hardworking, how he cared and shared his life, how he wasn't in it for self gain. We need to go out into our world and kind of do the same. And I know many of you are. He reasoned with them in a synagogue. So he went to the Jewish people and with Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, the devout ones, it says, it calls them. And he opened up the word of God to them and he laid it out for them. And he went to, the, to these Gentiles in the marketplace, whoever happened to be there. He was in the Athenian culture, so he went and did it the Athenian way. He spoke to them. He used Athens' ways to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask us this together today. How can we better use our online social platforms to encourage the saints and to confront people who may be seeking and searching for a different kind of everlasting truth? Some of those ideas were mentioned in our family meeting this past week, and I can just ask, can you help me learn how to speak into those platforms? Help me get on those platforms? Can we do it better? Think about that. Is there an important place to put our, is that an important place to put our energy to reach people? It just might be. Teenagers, youth, college students. Help me understand what you're hearing that is going against scripture teaching in your classrooms, the things and the pressures you're feeling to conform, to be accepting and yet not stand up for the gospel. To uh, Let me know that pressure. Let's talk about it and think about good answers together because I need those answers too. I need your help to understand what you're feeling and sensing and we need to be able to answer the question. Where's our marketplace in our Athens? where people talk about the important things of life, the big questions of life. Are we serving those people who are stranded and lost in those islands? Can we get into those spaces with God's truth? How can we use our homes, the spaces we have already, our church buildings? How are we gonna use these to get into the marketplace? I just say, let's pray, let's dream. And let's act on what the Spirit of God maybe is stirring in your hearts today. Hey, we have Haver Havertown Eats, right? Take advantage. Go speak to someone. Go support one of those restaurants, maybe this week or very soon. Hey, you need to start that hello conversation with that neighbor. You know which neighbor I'm talking about. The one you talked to before, but you need to again? Or the one that you're not sure you like? Or maybe it's the neighbor you know you don't like? But you need to talk to them again. You need to open up the ways because it's not just the nice people that need to hear the gospel or deserve to hear the gospel. Let's talk to our teens about the pressures they're feeling in school so that we can pray with them about it, so we can learn together on how to answer and live better and confronting our culture and wrestle with those tough questions because Athens was definitely making an impression on Paul and he wasn't happy. But it made him and drove him in his anger to be gentle and kind and converse. 
So that's just a real quick overview of some impressions, first impressions that Athens made on Paul. But what about, what kind of impressions did Paul make on Athens? Let's look at a few verses there. In verse 16, or excuse me, in verse 18 it says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So they're having a dialogue. They're having conversation in the marketplace. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? The Greek word there, babbler, or it can mean literally seed picker. So just picture a bird <laughs> picking seeds. And what they were accusing Paul of, this wasn't a compliment. They were accusing him of picking this a little bit over here, a little over that, throwing it all together and coming up with some kind of a new religion. And he was propagating it. He was a, you know, a seller of a, of a new faith. And they were curious about it, but they were calling him a seed picker. Country bumpkin, I guess. Someone from the country coming to the city, trying to make an impression. They called him a preacher of foreign deities. And notice that divinity, or de the deities or divinities, is in the plural. And it's very possible that they're projecting their own ideas on Paul. So like when he was talking about Jesus in the resurrection, it's possible in the grammar there that they were talking about Jesus as one God, small g, and resurrection, the name of another God, because they were throwing their polytheism, you know, their multiple God beliefs, onto Paul. He's talking about gods. He doesn't believe in one God. That was a foreign idea to them. And you know what? People do this today, don't they? They take little snippets of Christianity, they take little snippets of Eastern beliefs, they take little snippets of traditions or superstitions, little sayings that they've heard, and they make it into their own theology of who God is and, and what he's like. And Paul came and was trying to speak clarity, the true gospel, the truth about the one and only true God into this world. That world is so much like ours. That ought to give you hope today. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the messaging that's coming our way and how Christianity is no longer liked like it was when I was a kid, just after the dinosaurs were extinct, by the way. <laughs> now I'm not that old. This has been going on since the beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden. Mixed up ideas about who God is and what he's like. But their curiosity was aroused because of Paul's proclamation and because of Paul's way of speaking the truth into the, their lives in the synagogue, in church, and in the marketplace, out there where you work in the cubicles or in your platforms at home the last year and a half, <laughs> in your Zoom meetings, and in your neighborhoods, and at the ball field. We can do this as well. It says in verse 20, for you bring strange things to our ears. Have you found the gospel, the gospel of grace to be strange in most people's ears? You mean I can believe and not do anything else? 
that God did all the work and I don't have to, it goes so much against even our own thinking as Christians sometimes. I got to make God happy. We make God in our own image. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. We got to make God happy. We have a, an idol to the unknown God just so in case we've offended him. We don't want to do that. So we'll sacrifice some stuff to him. I'll throw some money at him to keep him or her happy, whoever or whatever she is. That's not how God works. Most people only have little snippets of the gospel. Our politics have diluted it or muddied it. It's divided Christians. False teachings, cults have confused the simple gospel of Jesus being the Savior, the one who taught, who died, who rose again, who died for our sins, who's alive and coming back. Our prejudices are, are blending in with the world. It's all diluted it, but the gospel can break through. The gospel, when it's simply spoken clearly and as we live it out in our lives, not perfectly, but sincerely and honestly with integrity, it will have impact. Our words and deeds will be used by the Spirit of God to bring light to darkness. Do you believe that today? Athens' gospel has had lasting impressions. What do I mean by Athens gospel? Well, look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Do you know we still, the world has never gotten beyond these philosophies? They were there before the Epicureans and Stoics ever came into existence, and it's still here today. The Epicureans were total materialists. Have you met anyone who's a total materialist? that this world is it, that everything, they believed everything came from atoms and particles. That's what their belief system was based on, that, that mattered, that they didn't believe in life after this world. They believed that all humans returned only back to, to particles and to atoms. They didn't deny the gods, but they didn't really believe in him. They just believed that the gods were detached, that they started the world and then they kind of got removed from it. They got the ball rolling and then they checked out. They believed life's goal was to live as free from pain and uncontrolled passions and superstitious fears as possible. So they depended on humanity and themselves. That's a still common belief in the 21st century that it's only this is it. You live with people like this. Maybe you were one of them at one time. It surrounds us. It drives us. Grab what you can. That was the Epicureans. They're still alive and well where we live. And then there's the Stoics. They believed in God or the gods. They believed they were actively working in the world, that they were messing around. <laughs> they were pantheists. They believed God was and is in everything. So the trees were God, the animals were gods. It was all one big universe. It was all one big natural thing altogether. They spoke of a divine divinity, the divinity, the spark of divinity in all people. They call it the Logos, the Word. It's interesting that John used that same term. In the beginning was the Word in his gospel to speak into that Gentile world. They believed that all power 
this one logos, this one essence, this one divinity, this one divine force brought everything together. Just think Star Wars and the force. Humans reach their fullest potential living by a reasonable, balanced life with nature, linking themselves with the gods from religion and, and with nature. They had a high ethic. They valued self-sufficiency. You know anybody who lives like that? High morals? Some kind of belief in God, but not a personal God, not, an, not a God that cares or loves just, he's there, he got things started. It's very human-centered, you know, and I put my family first and others second, and we all try and get along. That gospel, that lie, that counterfeit gospel still has lasting impressions, but God's gospel overcomes it. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands change thinking changed beliefs, and Paul did not shy away from it. And that's where we get into Paul's address. He was invited because of his manner and the way that he spoke. He was invited into the very center of Athens' community, their, 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 their communication center, to speak and, and to publicly share his beliefs. That's amazing, isn't it? He got a platform. In his world, to people who didn't have a clue about Jesus Christ or one creating God or the hope of everlasting life, and he got to speak there. And here's what he said, and we can learn from it. So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Aragopas, oh, I did it again, and I practiced it so many times. Men of Athens, and might I add women, because there were women there too, I perceive that you are in every way very religious. He says in verse 23, I observe the objects of your worship. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. I proclaim to you that God. So here he is speaking, earning a right to speak. He spoke with the Jews. He laid open the scriptures to them. When he was with the Gentiles who knew nothing of the scriptures, he started with, a creator God. He started with a gracious providing God. He talked about a God who was near and he talked about, yes, a savior who died and was resurrected to life. <laughs> That's the gospel for Athens and our world. He was mixing it up with them. He was having discussions on their turf. I reasoned, he conversed, he perceived, he observed, he was living with them. I found and I proclaim with a bold confidence. Look at verse 30. A key verse. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in, the righteousness, in, in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Repentance, just remember, it's a positive word, it's a good word, it means to change your thinking. God's looked over in the past people's ignorance about the truth about 
him being creator, him sending a savior, this savior coming and living and dying and being raised again, but he can't any longer. He has come, and now there's going to be judgment, so you need to change your thinking about this unknown God because now he's been made known to you, people of Athens. Repentance is just a changed thinking, changed beliefs. The root of changed beliefs is new action steps in faith with God. And notice, the thing that sets Christianity apart from everything, what is it? Resurrection. The Greeks didn't believe in resurrection. The Epicureans thought this world was it, and then it's over. You live on in people's memories. Well, that's only as good as long as there are people alive who remember you, and then you're done. That's not very hopeful. The Stoics believed in the spirit lived, but the fact that a body, an individual that me, that you, will live forever, that I'll be me forever, only better? Aren't you glad about that? Yeah, me too. That's amazing. That's hopeful. And that's the same gospel we preach today. Our world needs this hope. And do not shy away from this gospel. Look at what Paul said to the Corinthians. And what's neat is we're going to be looking at the first Corinthians letter next week because we're going to be in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul did not shy away from the gospel of the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. He preached it wherever he went, and the response was the same. They mocked. Others said, we will hear it again, and some believed. An Areopagite, Dionysius, and Demarius, a woman, and I just have to say it again. Luke mentions a woman. She was in that group of men listening, which was astounding. Think about that. On equal par, even in Greece. Having great impact, becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus in her world. Lifting up women like they had never been lifted up before because of Christ. Who levels the playing field between the genders who breaks down the fall that tore apart the relationship between men and women and now brings it back together so we're not at war with one another, fighting for power with one another, but working together to bring glory of God, glory to God. What a great picture. What a great healing. Some people think that Paul's, this event in Athens was a showcase of Paul's failure in preaching the gospel. It's not. It's great success. In a corner of the world that did not have a clue, who had never heard a word about Jesus Christ, 
Look at what the gospel of Jesus Christ did. It broke into darkness and many became followers. It's even going to have greater impact in a darker city, Corinth, and we read about that in chapter 18 next week. Great power and might in the gospel for the first century Athens, lost in darkness, not a clue into our world that sometimes feels like it's lost in darkness and does not have a clue. It will break through. Paul was provoked about the lies and earthbound ideas. He got emotional about it. And what did he do? Scream and yell? No. He went in and he served and he spoke and he interacted and he dialogued and he told the simple gospel. He was among the lost sheep to win some. He listened. He explained, he declared the simple gospel of God, trusting the spirit of God in all that weakness. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I am so encouraged that Paul felt the weakness of the cross. It didn't seem like a good message to preach. And yet it was the power of God that saves. Does that give you hope? When the gospel collides with the world's misguided ideas about life and its purpose, do you really believe the gospel can overcome the lies? Can open blind eyes to the truth? Can redeem a friend from school or on your team or one of those co-workers or a neighbor with the truth that Jesus' death for sin and his resurrection proves that he's God and Savior? You know what's great is Paul's gospel is our gospel. Do you know prayers have been answered recently among our own congregation for the souls of people and they have come to faith? It's working. Don't stop telling it. Prayers have been answered. Let's dare to invest in people so we get invited to speak in their platforms where they talk about their important things of life. And I ask, just ask you, will you think about it with me this week and not let it go? Where is it that God would have you go this week? Who is it you need to speak to or to begin to pray about? Just take that one step. One simple thing, just laying it into God's hands and see what the Spirit of God will do with it. Will you think about it? Will you talk about it? Will you help one another believe the gospel can break into the darkest corners of Havertown or your town or your neighborhood or the one over there that so desperately needs the gospel? Let's pray together. Father in God, Jesus, Son of God, you are our God and Savior. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We believe this, Lord. 
Help us to say that truth well. Help us to know what to do. Help us to be good students of people. Sharpen us. Stir our hearts up so we invest. So we are not ashamed of the gospel, but dare to speak it. So people may know you and your salvation. Lord, we pray this for your honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.